getting you set for everything Cardinals. In his second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mack. Out there. On 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com. Dan McLaughlin with you. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're going to hear from Matt Vaskersian, Paul DeYoung, and Brad Thompson. Three guests tonight on the Redbird Report. Some news, though, to get to right away. Major League Baseball owners, according to Bob Nightingale of USA Today, with an abundance of optimism that baseball will be played this year. They voted on a plan that will require teams to share at least 48% of their revenue with the Players Association this season. And this is a historic revenue-sharing plan. And this is integral to diminish revenue losses with games potentially being played without fans beginning in July. Major League Baseball officials say that teams are expected to lose about 40% of their gross revenue from ticket sales, concessions, and parking. This would be the first time in history that Major League Baseball clubs would be willing to share their revenue with players, although it's common in other sports. The NFL, players get 47% of the revenue. NBA, players receive 49% and 51% based on expected income. Should be noted that the union has balked at the idea that players should take a further pay cut since they already will lose about half of their annual salary with the season being reduced to potentially 82 regular season games. They agree to be paid on a prorated basis in their previous agreement back on the 26th of March, which granted players a full year of service time if no season was played. The idea would be to have spring training 2.0 begin in June With an opening day set July 1st through the 4th potentially, teams will have an option of hosting spring training at their home facilities or at their spring training complexes in Arizona and Florida. Also, the traditional two-league, six-division structure will remain, but teams only play opponents in their division and the corresponding geographical division from the other league. So the Cardinals would be playing White Sox, Cubs, Kansas City, Chicago, so on and so forth. Owners have also agreed to expand the postseason from 10 teams to 14 teams and adding an extra wild card round potentially in this agreement. How about rosters, you ask? The active rosters are expected to be inflated from 26 to 30 and the potential 20-man taxi squad consisting mostly of the organization's top players. And that's all from Bob Nightingale, and we'll sit and wait and see if it gets voted upon and approved. Dan Schulman was a guest on ESPN show with Randy and Michelle, and he was asked about some of the changes that could be happening with baseball, universal DH coming into play, potential of seven-inning doubleheaders. But back to the DH, what does Dan Schulman think? Uh, no, I, I think we'll eventually, let's assume next year things are relatively normal, uh, 2021. I mean, I, I think we'll go back to American League, National League, uh, the, the divisions as we know them. But this year, let's say we do those three 10-team divisions, which is one of the things they're talking about. You're going to have to have a universal DH. I think that's one thing that'll change. I think we could see a universal DH this year, and it might just stay. Uh, after that. Um, but other than that, I think we'll probably get back to pretty much the way uh, that baseball has been uh, as we've known it. But you know what? Anything is on the table. And if something works, then I think they're going to take a serious look at it. But, you know, the uh, having an American League and having a National League 
is as you know deep a foundation as baseball has. And then we've all heard the talk about you know if they expand to 32 teams, there could be massive change, massive realignment. I do think that's going to be a consideration down the road, but I think it would be unlikely, Michelle, for it to happen next year. Very, very interesting stuff considering what may be happening here with Major League Baseball and the DH potentially coming to St. Louis. What about the Cardinals Hall of Fame? The voting has stopped, and now the votes are being tabulated. Brian Finch of the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum. Absolutely. It's been a great year for um, Cardinals fans to get involved with the Hall of Fame vote for 2020, and we've had an overwhelming turnout. Uh, we know fans want baseball back. We want Cardinals baseball back. And uh, we were so excited to um, have this campaign to continue um, to give something for fans to be involved with uh, during the time that we don't have Cardinals baseball. And we're looking forward to um, having these votes tallied and to have a big announcement in the, the coming days and weeks here. Yeah, how, how close, Brian, are you to, to making that announcement of the, the two newest members of the Cardinals Hall of Fame, whomever they may be? Well, we anticipate uh, a Hall of Fame announcement show, just like we've done in previous years, that would be aired on Fox Sports Midwest. We hope to have uh, the details on that finalized within the next uh, few days here, and that that show would air within the coming weeks here, uh, hopefully during the month of May, and uh, something that we look forward to. And, of course, you've hosted that show in the past for us, and uh, we're looking forward to a great show as well uh, this year that would be no different than, than years past. You're intimately involved with the museum and the Hall of Fame. What is going on right now with ways to keep fans uh, engaged with the club, with the museum and the Hall of Fame? Well, it's been an interesting time. Of course, our doors are closed to the public with um, – the coronavirus pandemic, but it's been a neat way to share our stories in a virtual, uh, a virtual light, a virtual way. So we have been engaging with our fans uh, through social media. So if you were to go online on uh, Facebook or Instagram at Cardinals Nation, you can search at Cardinals Nation on both of those platforms, Facebook or, or Instagram. Uh, we are putting out content on a daily basis. So whether it's short videos, um, we've had some of your great calls, Dan. And uh, remembering some of those great mem- uh, those moments in Cardinals, uh, you know, past from great games, or looking at some of the artifacts in our collection and telling those stories behind the artifacts. You know, the Cardinals. Uh, we repeat this often, but it's amazing how many fans still don't know this. The Cardinals have the largest privately held single team focused collection in the world of baseball memorabilia. We have over twenty four thousand artifacts, and so it's this is a really uh, unique time for us to be able to tell some of those stories behind specific artifacts. Uh, I know we just posted a video that I had done uh, before this um, all came about talking about the the silver tea set that Bob Forsh was given uh, after his second no-hitter by team owner Gussie Bush. And that's just something you don't see much anymore. We've got it on display in the museum currently. Of course, again, the museum's closed, but uh, just the story behind that. And, you know, back in the all the way from the 40s, you know, 30s and 40s, all the way through the 1980s, when a player would do something remarkable, um, they might get a set of silver or or something along those lines. And what a neat piece uh, from his career as the only Cardinals pitcher with two no-hitters and to get it from the team owner. It's a pretty special um, artifact and, and collection that we have in the Cardinals Museum. Best place for fans to to find some of your work? Where is it? Well, of course, again, online at Facebook um, or Instagram, search at Cardinals Nation. They can find that online. And uh, we're still doing a lot with our membership right now. 
and not to make a big sales push. I know uh, folks with, with the economy right now and jobs and stuff, but we're doing special things for our members. Uh, we're doing, um, you know, special presentations and webinars online. I just gave a special uh, one-hour lunchtime presentation about the 1944 World Series for our members on Monday. Uh, we're doing some player interviews with our membership as well. So if you want to get involved that way, you can definitely purchase a membership. That's at cardinals.com slash museum. Uh, but again, uh, engage with us through social media. We're, we're putting out stuff daily, and uh, we've got some fun things going on there. Many thanks to Brian coming up. We'll talk it over with Matt Vaskersian, uh, one of the great play-by-play men in the sport. He hosts ESPN Sunday Night Baseball as well as the main host on MLB Network. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. Many, many years ago in San Diego, it was like Ron Burgundy came out of a car and came over to me and said, would you do a pregame show with me? And his name was Matty V. Matt Vaskersian, who you now see on Sunday Night Baseball, the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, and the lead anchor at MLB Network. And I don't know if you were Ron Burgundy back then in San Diego, but, man, you've done some amazing things, Matty V. Good to hear your voice. How are you? It's it's good to talk to you, Danny. I, honestly, i gotta, I got to just admit to you right up front before we get too, too deep in anything. I, I, I mean, I've been looking forward to this call for a while. I mean, what, we've been in quarantine <laughs> for two months. I just read through online the uh guest roster that you've had on over the past number of weeks uh, yes. assistant night manager at ted drews <laughs> uh metro east water commissioner uh I'm, I'm glad that i finally got the call man it's good to talk to you good to talk to you i had to get the heavy hitters out of the way before i got to people <laughs> like yourself um you, you know you're in new york paint a picture for us here in st louis and in the the midwest about being in the epicenter of this virus in North America, what what is it like in New York? Can you try to paint that picture? It's it's surreal, um, and I think, you know, without without expressing how I feel because I'm not sure, I change by the day as to what's happening in our country. Uh, I know that out here, it's just it's much more prevalent than it is anywhere else, and statistically, that's true. I think anybody that reads the newspaper or watches the evening news, knows that to be a fact. Um, but because of that, it, I think there's there are far more people here that are agreeing to the stay-at-home quarantine than there might be in other mm-hmm. parts of the country, just sure. because we see it everywhere. I mean, we live on a street with five houses, and four of them uh, were positive, tested wow. positive. My wife has the antibody, so it went through our house. and. Um, it's just it's because we're in the epicenter and we have respected all the wishes to stay home. We haven't been into New York City, though. We live an hour away, 40 minutes as the crow flies. I know people that live in the city who just it's like a scene out of a strange movie. Um, you know, when the streets are dead, when you could walk up and down Sixth Avenue and there's no one around and no cars and no commerce. It's like something that uh, none of us have ever seen before. How do you stay busy then if you're Matt Vaskersian and you're quarantined and, and you're adhering to everything that you're supposed to be doing? How do you, as a broadcaster that's done a ton of different things, how do you, how do you try to stay busy? Well, I told myself, I think as we all did, Danny, that we were going to just get better at our jobs with this time that we were afforded. We were going to get some of the reading out of the way that we never seemed to have time for. Uh, we were going to go and and, you know, 
research players and prepare our game notes more thoroughly and in a, in a kind of a more um, referenceable way than just having loose leaf pieces of paper on your scorecard as I do. And all those plans went out the window because I've got a five-year-old here and two teenage girls and, and we have, my wife and I have enough going on in the, in the house to keep us busy, whether we're working or not. Um, we also thought, gosh, what a great chance to catch up on some movies and none of that happens because no. you're chasing kids around all exactly. day. Exactly. And that's, and that's good. I mean, I've, I've had a chance to spend more time with the kids than ever before. And, um, I now have almost completely taught my son to differentiate a Keith Moon who's song from a Kenny Jones who's song. <laughs> he's pretty good at that now and he's five. So I'm particularly proud of that. You and should it's just be. Been, we're just living our lives, you know, we're not really, and I'm trying to try to find that balance between absorbing news and not letting it bum me out. That's the challenge. As you can imagine, with this being such a great baseball town in St. Louis, our fans are dying for sports. Um, and they're dying for Cardinal baseball. They want to see it back on the air, however it's presented. So I'll ask you, I know you don't have the answer at your fingertips, and it changes, it seems like, hour by hour, day by day, but what are you hearing about the potential return of Major League Baseball? Well, you know, the report that got kicked around about a week ago that uh, I guess uh, former big leaguer Trevor Plouffe, uh, he was like the breaker of news in this one that there was going to be a proposal sent to the players union by Major League Baseball. Um, and that's that's what we're all waiting for. We're waiting for that that proposal to be sent out. I know there are many plans that have been discussed. Um, if if the union and the league can come to some kind of an agreement and do it within the parameters of the many restrictions that have been put up uh, by individual state governors, then maybe, maybe we get spring training in June and maybe we get opening day on July 4th. And if that's the case, I think all of us will consider it a huge win. There are a lot of things that need to happen before all that goes down, of course. Um, but I, I'm optimistic and I'm, I'm really trying to stay that way. Not, not only because it's our livelihood, but because, man, we, we realize how important this is for the country. And, you know, you can watch classic games, you can read all-time lists, but nothing takes the place of having 15 games on a day. It's what we love about baseball, the fact that it's, it's frequency uh, kind of weaves itself into our daily lives for about seven months. And when it's gone... We really miss it, and I think uh, all baseball fans, whether they're in St. Louis or anywhere else, would agree. Yeah, that's well put. Matt Vaskersian, voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, also lead anchor at MLB Network, my guest. Um, have you thought about, because I think about it a lot, doing a game without fans or doing it from a studio or wherever they may have us do it, maybe your home. Have you thought about uh, what that might be like for you? I have, and um, – I I'm willing to say that uh, I, I would do whatever it takes. Uh, if, if games are being played, I'll, I'll do whatever I'm asked, whether it's, you know, set something up at home, drive to a studio or even be on location. I, I just, it's just that important to get these games on the air. I know that the, uh, the games that are on ESPN right now from the Korean baseball association, it kicked off this week. I know that the broadcasters are in their homes um, it's, it's less than ideal, but it works. And we all just have to be ready to pivot that way. I've done games in that, in that way. I think you probably have too, Danny, whether yep. it's a, 
a world feed or you're taking some kind of an international feed someplace, it, it can happen that way. And we, I don't think anybody can complain whether it's a broadcaster or a player about modifications to the game or to the telecast given the circumstances. This is an opportunity for baseball to roll out every experimental option it's ever dreamt of. And anybody that holds up a fist or, uh, you know, presents a red flag, shame on them. Because if you're going to object to seven-inning doubleheader games or uh, a rules modification that has, uh, you know, a reliever needing to record three outs or end it inning, whatever it is, this is the time. Nobody should object to anything at this point because we're, we're lucky to get games in. And whatever they can do to make those games uh, play out quickly uh, to avoid extra innings, I, the one that they're talking about that I love even in a non-COVID environment, is when you get to an 11th inning, uh, the inning begins with a runner at second. I just love that idea. We saw it the World Baseball Classic in its last running. It's not a given that that team is going to score. It's not a given that that, team, that that team's only going to score one run, and it expedites uh, a final score. It puts a period on something that becomes interminable, and detrimental to the next day's game. And if you're trying to compact the season and get 100 games in in 105 days or whatever the task will be, then you got to figure out how to avoid those dire extra innings marathons. So, again, all those experimental measures, thumbs up, let's do it. I'm totally with you. I've said from day one, it's a blank canvas. So whatever you want to do, you've got the doubleheaders that are – Seven innings, which they do in the minor leagues. As you mentioned, starting a winning run and extra innings in scoring position. I think the universal DH is coming. Whatever the case may be, now is the time to do it. And I'm even for an electronic strike zone if it got down to that, even though it's not perfect. I don't know if any of these things really catch your attention, but they do me, and I'm, I'm like, hey, let's do it. Let's just roll it out right now. Yeah, I'm with you. The electronic strike zone might be the one that I'd need to be convinced on a little bit more. Um you know, I, I, I get people that argue in its favor. I just think that it, if you did that one, it's so imperfect right now that to put that and, and hang a season on those, that, that might be the one that I kind of slow the brakes on a little bit, but I'm with you on, on everything else. Let's go. Let's just get the season in whatever it takes. So Matty V, pull back the curtain for me a little bit. Uh, and for our listeners, you're, you're, you know, you're a big star. Okay. We get it. Now you're hobnobbing around <laughs> Stop with. Stop it! Now, now you're hobnobbing with J Lo and A Rod. So what is that like when they're around you? Obviously, Alex is doing the games, but then J Lo, who is an international superstar, she's in here. I mean, she's in Bush Stadium last year. That was the last time I thought this is crazy. You know, this is J Lo's sitting in the booth. So what is it like being around those two on a on a least once a night week basis? She, first of all, she is to be given a ton of credit. I mean, and you're, she, and you're a star, by the way, baby. You're, you're a big time stop. star. Okay. Stop. I will. I'll stop. Such a clown. I've stumbled <laughs> bass backwards into a career and I'm happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I, I, she is to be given a ton of credit. She really loves this guy because she has been at the first year we were together. I think she missed three games all year or four games. Is that right? Um, yeah. Like she was every weekend she was there and I'm like, why is Jennifer coming back to Houston for a third time to sit? I mean, we do games in the stands or used to at least. And she would sit there in the stands like 
And she doesn't arrive with this huge team of support people. You know, people might think that she has this enormous entourage. She has maybe a couple people with her at best. And she sits with her fiance. I mean, she loves this guy. It's, it's really, it's, it really is a kind of a fun thing to watch when you, when you observe them post game, especially in a place like LA or New York, when there's tons of people around and paparazzi types, um, it's, it's almost, I didn't never, neither one of us was around when JFK and Jackie O would, uh, you know, traipse through Camelot. Right. But it has that quality. They've both got, they're both impeccably dressed. They're both, uh, you know, super attractive humans and they're in each other's arms and they're walking hand in hand. And I'm like, man, this is, this is like a Royal couple. Uh, but you know, on a personal level, they're both very kind. They're both very generous. Um, and it's, it's just kind of fun to watch the dynamic. I I love to hear that. I'm going to wrap it up with this. We all are missing sports. We all miss baseball. You travel the country doing games, and and if I say that St. Louis is a special place, people expect that. I've been the Cardinal broadcaster for a long time. I grew up here, yada, yada, yada. But when it comes from a national guy and their perspective, it's a little bit different. So what is it like when you come through St. Louis on a Sunday night and there's 40,000 people? And I always say this, I do believe it's a different place. But do you feel that way too when you come through to do a game in St. Louis? No question. And, you know, every every municipality in sports thinks that their fans are the best. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to say best. I will say this, though. I don't think there's a fan base in sports that wraps its arms around its teams the way St. Louis fans do. I mean, unfailingly loyal is uh, is an understatement. And in a down season in a world championship season, it is Cardinals baseball is so incredibly relevant in, in a large region of the country, uh, stemming from right there at Bush stadium and, and in having a huge footprint, um, beyond the city, beyond state lines, as you know, I don't know that there's a team that's more relevant in its marketplace than the St. Louis Cardinals. And that that's in any of the four major sports. And you feel it as a broadcaster when you go there. I know that uh, our fans certainly appreciate hearing that. And I appreciate you. You're one of my best friends in the world. I miss seeing you. I'm just uh, so delighted to hear that you and your family are, are healthy and make sure it stays that way. And, uh, Let's get some baseball at some point this summer. Thanks, Matty V. I appreciate you. Same, Danny. Yeah, I hope to see you soon, man. Be well. It's Matt Vaskersian from MLB Network and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. Always fun to catch up with Matty V, one of my favorite people and broadcasters in this business. Up next, we'll visit with the Cardinal shortstop, Paul DeYoung. Hopefully we see this very, very soon. And DeYoung can change it with one swing. Just one, baby. He knocked out the M in Big Mac Land. And there's a souvenir for the M. I'd like to see the authenticator go get that one. Good luck. Paul DeYoung, the all-star shortstop of the Cardinals, comes your way next on 101 ESPN and the Redbird Report. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report.
with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. 101 ESPN and a chance to catch up with the all-star shortstop of the St. Louis Cardinals and was having just a fabulous, and I mean a fabulous spring training, and that's Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. Paul, how you holding up? How you doing? Are you safe? You happy? What's going on with you? Doing well, Danny Mac. Just uh, enjoying this St. Louis spring. Been working out with Colton Wong and playing homemaker here at my apartment, getting everything settled. But you know, staying healthy, staying safe. So that's all I can uh, really ask for. Just uh, trying to stay patient as much as I can. Patience is a key right now. I'm assuming if you're a pro athlete, uh, what's that like day to day for you and and Colton and your teammates? Like everybody else, do you do you get up and watch and read everything you can about the return of sports, or do you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to read and watch. I'm just going to, you know, when they call me, I'll be ready to go. How how do you deal with it day to day? Yeah, um, it's kind of evolved as as more time passed. Uh, I'd say when things first got. Uh, shut down. I was a lot more curious and, you know, reading and trying to figure out what was going on. And lately uh, I've become more into my own routine on being able to be productive here uh, and just waking up and having my coffee and reading in the morning, like nothing's going wrong. I mean, those little types of moments um, keep me, keep me here and present. So yeah, just, uh, just focusing on myself, trying to try to improve uh, and stay active as much as I can and, and, and really just try to use this time wisely. How do you guys, you know, you mentioned that you, you work out with Colton Wong. How are you guys able to do that with gyms that aren't opened up and then baseball-related activities to stay sharp? How do you guys try to do that? Well, he's got a gym in his basement that uh, we've been using. Works pretty good. He's got, you know, everything you need. Um, but also, uh, you know, Slew's been kind enough to let us on their field. And uh, Darren Henderson, um head coach over there has been huge for us so just providing us an opportunity to to get out in the field so colton and i are are staying active almost like it's a january december type feel um you know three days a week getting out there on the field hitting doing some ground balls throwing you know running all, all that type of thing and when you do that are, are there other people that are able to hit you ground balls and do those kind of things and throw bps or just you two guys working out and trying to do the best you can just uh, us two, and, and Darren's been helping us out, uh, the head coach. Um, he comes and throws DP during the season at Bush. So he's been around uh, since the 90s. He's, he's had a good relationship. So and we're fortunate for him to be able to, uh, you know, be out there with us. And he brings his son every every so often. We get to uh, help him out. Uh, to say he's got a pretty good lefty stroke, good frame. <laughs> he's only a freshman in high school. He's got some time. When you talk to your other teammates or you talk to other players around the league, because it's a, a tight-knit unit, what, what's the prevailing feeling like? You know, what, what's it like day-to-day, the anxiety of wanting to play, not sure if you're going to play, all the things that go into it that we're all dealing with in every walk of life, but what, what's it like from a baseball perspective? I'd say it's uh, everyone's got their own type of approach um, with how they're staying, uh, staying active and ready and you know, guys all went to their home cities and especially closing down uh, gyms, you know, complexes and public gyms as well. So everyone's probably uh, getting innovative uh, as far as, you know, what they're doing to stay ready. I know um, certain guys are thinking about coming to uh, St. Louis. So, um, you know, there's always pros and cons that got to be weighed and um, that 
the access to this field here is one of the reasons why I wanted to come to St. Louis. Um, you know, I don't know where we'll start spring, but I just know that I can be productive here. So, you know, everyone's kind of in their own boat as far as how they want to lead themselves through this. Have you talked to Shilty much? Is it daily, weekly? What What's it like with Mike Schilt? Probably about weekly. I actually just got off the phone with him before we talked. Um, just trying to come up with, with our plan. We're going to do some more, you know, small group Zoom stuff starting soon just to kind of get talking about the game again and, you know, heard exactly what everyone else has heard about a optimistic June uh, spring training into a early July uh, season in our home cities. That's, you know, what I've heard, but I don't know if any negotiations have, have taken place. So it still could be in the idea phase. Your spring training, Paul, that's one of the, the biggest disappointments I have of, of not seeing this season. Um, your spring training was just fabulous. What, what were some of the things that you were doing differently in spring, maybe as opposed to the end of last year, to get you to a different level? Well, I'd say uh, I definitely widened out my stance and got more in my legs uh, like I was in 2017 when I hit for a higher average with the power. I was just a little bit more balanced and then towards the, you know, end of last year and middle of last year, I was pretty vertical and, uh, you know, it was tough on me. I was moving my head pretty far every time I wanted to swing. So really just got back in my legs physically. And then from the mental standpoint, um, really locked in my routine as far as working with Jeff in the, in the cage. And then, you know, my mental routine, um, a lot of it through, uh, help with, uh, Brian, Alazawi with uh, the the mental strength performance side, um, the former Navy SEAL we always have around, uh, or new new this year. But you know, just the fearless type attitude that I would approach, um, especially with the anxiety I used to feel as far as you know wanting to perform and get results versus you know being out there and fearless and present and you know living with the results because I know I prepared so. It was really just a huge attitude shift for me and, um, you know, small sample size, but I, I definitely felt like a different player out there and a more improved player. When people are listening to this and Paul DeYoung, our guest, the all-star shortstop, they understand that you're a cerebral player, you're a smart player, you look at video, you are into the analytics, then you're on the mental side. How do you balance all that, Paul, to make sure you don't go too much one way or the other and you kind of stay present and in the moment? That's a tough thing to do. Well, I... I'd say it's trial and error, Dan. I mean, you know, when I first got into the league in 17, you know, it's just like a wide-eyed rookie just going out there and playing every day, and there was a natural presence to that. And then, you know, as time went on, um, you know, I wanted to recreate myself out there versus just letting myself be out there. And so, you know, last year was my full 162, being able to play from start to finish without injury or, you know, being called up. So, it was a huge learning experience for me to have a first two good months and the reason why I became an all-star in the first place versus, you know, sustaining that throughout the whole season. So I learned a lot last year from how to deal with my physical workload, and I felt like physically I was good. I had a great routine. I played all those games, stayed healthy, um, those types of things, but mentally I just – was too hard and expectations-wise, results-based thinking that, you know, just let at-bats slip away after slip away, and, you know, the rest is in the stats forever. But, you know, this spring I felt like I really approached things differently, and, and for that reason I'm 
I'm feeling great about just sitting here right now because I know once we start this all over again, I'll just go back to, you know, slowing everything down, getting back into my routine. Um, I think we all miss that and, and we're all itching for that to get back. For position players, a lot of the talk has been about pitchers, you know, and trying to get them back ramped up and built up. But for position mm-hmm. players, how long do you think it takes in a, a shortened spring training potentially to, to get ready to play? I don't know. I mean, we need to get our legs in shape. We need to get our arms in shape, our bodies to be playing every day. So I'd say a, at least 10, 15 games for me would be, um, you know, kind of what I'm thinking just to, you know, I don't know how, however many we played about 15 before um, they suspended the spring training. And I felt pretty ready after that. And so, you know, I don't think we, we should take this lightly, this spring training. I think we have all gone through a lot mentally throughout this whole process. So once we start things again, I really think we need to, you know, just slow it down as best we can to, you know, just to keep our, our minds at ease versus this, you know, sprint mentality. Baseball has always been the marathon. So, you know, we can't start treating it like a sprint now, even, even though all this has happened. Yeah. It's an interesting point that you bring up. And I've tried to make that point for position players. You guys are on your feet a ton and it's a summer months and all of a sudden you got to ramp it up and get back going. (laughs) Can you do anything to to try to get ready Mm -hmm. to stay on your feet as much as you're going to have to do? (laughs) It's funny that you say that. I just, in my daily life, I just try to stand up. <laughs> I've been standing up more. I feel like, and with those thoughts in mind, because I know uh, yeah, just being on your feet is, is a whole new set. You can't first day of spring training, no matter what you did all spring or all all off season, you're going to be sore just from the activity. So, you know, we all need that adjustment period for our bodies. You know, a lot of people know you're a well-educated guy in history and medicine and and looking at different things to to help society. I'm just curious from your personal perspective, not even as a baseball player, but just as you watch what's happening in our world, just your thoughts on on how to, you know, deal with this because you are a bright guy that has a lot yeah. of thoughts on these things. What what do you think? I think we just need a, a revolutionary new way to, to look at an individual. I think um, medicine has become a little bit too much uh, whitewashing and, and lumping in general groups together. And I think every individual has their own set of circumstances that need to be understood. And so, you know, for looking at diseases and, you know, all these other things, um, you know, emotional triggers, stress, diet, environment, all those types of things factor in. And so, you know, when uh, thinking about this, you this disease going in the pandemic, um, you really got to think about what your own life looks like and how you're treating your own body and how you're treating your mind and, you know, the things you're doing actively every day. Um, so really it becomes a how to stay healthy question. And, um, you know, any generally healthy person knows that they have a good routine. They have a good diet. They have a good, um, you know, active schedule and so if you're doing all those things that and I'm, like most people are i think you have nothing to worry about and we should you know just continue to stress our own health be your own doctor and you know be smart with with your choices and and so all those things uh, if you can do all those things um i feel fearless enough to be able to to live this life and go outside and not worry about um you know those types of things outside of baseball you got time on your hands like everybody else what keeps you busy Mm-hmm. Oh, just been um, 
you know, reading a little bit, uh, trying to design a, a cabin for up in the woods. So I've been thinking about some <laughs> architecture ideas and trying to make everything custom. So I don't want to, I want to do it as much by myself as I can before I talk to a builder. Um, but yeah, just, uh, like playing homemaker, finally bought some furniture here for St. Louis. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable at home training, being outside, taking walks through forest park. So doing whatever I can to stay on my feet. Good for you, Paul. And I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. And I really appreciate your time. We, we all miss sports, whether you're a fan, you're a broadcaster or you're an all-star shortstop. What do you miss most about not having the chance to play baseball? What is it for Paul DeYoung? Oh, it's, it's absolutely the camaraderie with the guys, um, traveling on flights, uh, you know, all those little moments, uh, show dinners as we call them. Um, you know, those types of things are, are what we'll always remember. And, uh, you know, this, uh, the routine aspect of it, everyone loves the surprise and the drama of, of baseball because you never know what the game will bring today. And so, you know, that kind of mystery and that everyday grind, like like we feel more connected to the people when we're playing and, and working because, you know, we're out there every day. And, you know, a lot of other people, blue-collar workers, same type of mentality. So, you know, we embrace that type of feeling. And when we're just sitting here waiting, it can be a, can be a little traumatic. So... You know, I think we all just miss uh, being around each other and, and doing what we all know how to do every day. Well, I miss seeing you, miss watching you play, talking to you, but uh, hopefully we'll have baseball soon enough. I can't thank you enough for your time today, Paulie, and uh, get healthy. But make sure you stay healthy, get back on the field, and uh, I know everybody's looking forward to that. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Danny. Good to hear from you, and you know, we'll talk soon. You got it. That's the all-star shortstop of the Cardinals, Paul DeYoung on 101 ESPN. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. Redbird Report rolls on. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and we've been talking about this on 101 ESPN. Chris Duncan would have turned 39 this month, and in celebration of Dunk's birthday, 101 ESPN has brought back the Dunctionary T-shirt for a limited time. All orders placed now through Friday, May 22nd, will be compiled, and all shirts ordered will be printed and shipped by early June, allow four to six weeks delivery, and this all to benefit the Chris Duncan Scholarship Fund, 100% of the proceeds raised. One of the guys that knew him so well, one of his best friends, is from the fast lane, and that's Brad Thompson. And Brad, uh, when you think of Chris Duncan, your former teammate, one of your best friends, what comes to mind? Well, I'd say there there are so many different aspects of Dunk that that I loved and missed. But but one thing that comes to mind right off the bat is just uh, the, the term gamer. I mean, this guy uh, just from from a baseball standpoint, he was so ready to rock and roll every single day. And Dan, you you know him. You know the way that he prepared. You know that he the way that he went about it. And you know when he got on the field that he just wanted to beat everybody. And I, I, I loved it so much. I think that I've told you the story uh, before, but but uh, it, it is perfect for today. Of the first time that I saw Dunk play was in 2004. And it was the first game of the season in, in AA in the Southern League against the Chattanooga Lookouts because in spring training, he was with the AAA team the whole time. I was with the AA team the whole time, and he didn't come down until the final day. So I didn't really get a chance to see Chris Duncan play. 
the, he gets on first. I think he walked and, and got on first. There was a, a little weak ground ball to second base, and Chris Duncan blew the shortstop just into <laughs> left field, dude. It was like I was like, oh my gosh, is that what we do here? Is this baseball now? This is how we play. It like I, I saw him blow him up, and it got me so excited that like this is real. This is no more touchy feely. Like this is like this is double A. This is real deal baseball. We're a couple of steps away from the big leagues, and my man was just always ready. And he played with that intensity. And and when I when I say like he blows somebody up at second base, or I watched him truck catchers when, when you were able to do something like that. Man, there was no malice in what he does and what he did. He didn't have vendettas. He wasn't trying to hurt people. He just wanted to win, and he wanted to win all the time, and he wanted to do it for for our team. And so gamer is one of the first things that I think. I also think mentally tough because nepotism was going to follow him in the Cardinals organization. And I'm not sure the Cardinals did him a favor by drafting him because of his father, but yet he was able to get through that. Take me to the minor leagues and then in the major leagues of dealing with nepotism. If it was there at all, what was that like for him? Yeah, I think that's one of the most common misconceptions about Chris Duncan and his career is that it was an easy path for him to the big leagues because his dad is, in my opinion, a Hall of Famer. I, I think that Dave Duncan should be in, in there with Tony, and maybe one of these days it'll happen. Uh, maybe he'll be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. I, I believe he deserves both of those accolades. But I, I think it worked totally the opposite for Chris Duncan because there was so much scrutiny on him, and there were so many eyeballs and so many people thinking that way, whether it's coaches throughout the organization or other players, like, oh, here, here comes daddy's boy, can't do any wrong. Uh, Chris had to earn every little bit of it, and he did. Every single level along the way, he succeeded. And uh, Dunk famously would make fun of his defensive shortcomings, right? But he worked so hard to get better and better at each aspect. So we remember when he got to the big leagues and, you know, he's, he's struggling in the outfield. Well, my man was a, a first baseman all throughout the minor leagues and tried to figure out things at a big league level. Uh, and I, I just don't think that aspect of it was easy. I, I do agree with your original idea of maybe they didn't do him any favors by picking him because Dunk was going to be a first round talent. He, he had that written all over me at first round grades coming out of high school. I don't know about grades in the classroom, but grades <laughs> baseball wise, uh, he had first round grades and he was going to make it to the big league somewhere. And who knows? Maybe he would have made it a little bit faster in an organization uh, that, first of all, wasn't as stacked as the Cardinals had been for a couple of decades and one where his dad wasn't there. So if you've get fast-tracked everybody's not gonna say oh well of course of course you're in the big leagues my man earned every bit of it when you think back to your scoreless streak uh and the defense in the minor leagues that you have to have behind you at one point you did have chris duncan behind you uh (laughs) was he a little nervous that the ball was going to be hit to him one of my favorite uh my favorite stories so before the final game it ended up being the final game didn't know at the time that I had this streak going on, the local news in, it was uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, the local news had come out, they did you know interviews, they were interviewing people, they were talking about the streak, uh, because it was a modern day record, um, they thought it was an all-time record at the time, and they found something from 1906 that I was going to break if I had like four more scoreless innings, and Dunk found out during the interview while they were watching on TV in the clubhouse. I wasn't trying to pay attention, (laughs) but it was on TV, right? 
he finds out that it's not just earned runs. It's any runs. Like, I hadn't given up a run at all. Uh, earned, unearned, no nothing. He's like, this is unearned runs too? If I make an error, we're screwed? We lose it? And everybody's like, you're fine, buddy. And he, he got the, I'll use a Duncanism here, he got the tight cheeks pretty quick. And <laughs> he, was, he was all nervous. And he's like, what do you mean? What if I kick a couple? So he, uh, I, I love that aspect. And Dunk, by the way, Dunk made tons of web gems for me throughout that. I had so many. You know me, uh, Dan. I wasn't overpowering. By you weren't any striking out a lot of guys. Defense. Yeah. No, man. I'm, I'm I'm getting weak ground balls all over the place. I still owe Skip Schumacher a couple of steak dinners for uh, all the the catches that he made for me. But Dunk was great. He was the first baseman the entire time during uh, during the streak. So he didn't let anything by him. Brad Thompson of the Fast Lane is my guest, and again, we're reflecting on the life of Chris Duncan and trying to raise some money and awareness for a great cause and his foundation. Uh, Brad, I'm, I'm really curious of what kind of teammate he was, because from the outside looking in, he was intense, he was focused, there wasn't a lot of talk with the media, we already talked about some of the situations that he dealt with, with whether it be nepotism or the fact that he's playing out of position, but yet, I know as a teammate, he was phenomenal. Take me behind the curtain a little bit and what kind of teammate he was. Well, I, I'll tell you this. One of my favorite things that has happened uh, in the career of Chris Duncan that, that did happen was the fact that he got to do the radio and people got to find out the personality that Chris had. Because that's the Chris that we got to know is the guy that has everybody rolling laughing. I mean, there are times in the clubhouse where it starts out with three of us sitting in the corner, then all of a sudden there's 10, 12 people there of Chris telling stories about him and Shelly, and he's holding court, you know? And he was just one of those guys that his personality shined. But when it was time to play, he locked all of that up. And I know that you and I have had this conversation in the past as well. When it came to the media, he he was very vanilla his answers would be straight and narrow because his thought was hey this isn't my place this isn't this is that's albert that's roland or that's jimmy i'm just going to answer the questions and move on and i think a lot of that comes with the baseball life that he was brought up in with dave but he was one of those guys and it's cliche to say but very true when it came to chris chris would do anything for you but it wouldn't be the it wouldn't even be like People, there are a lot of people in our lives that, that'll do something. If you need some help, they're there for it. If you call, they're, they're going to be there. Dunk was very proactive in being a teammate. I mean, he'd reach out to people, hey, you're doing good. Hey, you, you, you want to come over here? Or, hey, you want to do this? Like, he was always one of those people that was extending that olive branch of, of friendship and being a teammate. And he really was just one of those guys that if you had an opportunity to be around for a couple of minutes – you're different for it and you're changed because of it. It's just so polarizing. And I miss that aspect of Chris just so much. I miss going to the radio station and him just saying something and me cracking up laughing, just being around the guy and the personality is what I miss the most. I, I bet too. He's about as old school, a pro baseball player as it gets. He was kind of a throwback, wasn't he? I mean, he played hard, but, but there was some times I'm sure that you, Brad Thompson and Chris Duncan, uh, played a little hard off the, uh, off the field too. You know what? Chris and I had, uh, we had a good time. Was it and milk we and enjoyed cookies? ourselves. No, you know what? They seem to run out of those on team flights oftentimes. <laughs> so, so Chris and I, Chris and I sat across from each other on the plane, like same row, but we each had, we each had our own row across the aisle 
from each other. And I, I believe that the flight attendants started getting uh, a little worn out from all the cardio that they were doing. Going uh, uh-huh. every time they come by, we're like, "Hey, can we get a couple Bud Lights? Two Bud Lights? Two Bud Lights?" We finally got about, uh, and this was '06, because '05, uh, I think we we behaved ourselves a little bit better, uh, and then uh, then '06, maybe we got comfortable. Certainly not the word, but comfortable enough to ask for a couple of drinks on, on the plane. And the, the flight attendants got to the point where they knew where we sat every time and we would each have a tray of beer under us and at, at least 12 of them under, under each one of our seats. So they didn't have to run as much. And I remember the first time <laughs> and I remember the first time Dunk looks under his seat and he looks at me. I look under my seat and he goes, Whoa, not going to drink themselves. I said, yeah, buddy, let's do this. How about, we had some fun. How about your favorite memory between the white lines of Chris Duncan? Do you have one that comes to mind? You know what is uh, the the one that comes to mind is his first major league home run, honestly, and watching him, watching his dad and seeing the embrace and just everything that we just kind of talked about culminating into a moment where he made it. And you know this, you're a parent. I, I know how proud you are of all your kids. I've got two young kids. They do something. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of them. But I, like, I can only imagine – what that was like for Dave in that moment, having his son hit a major league home run. He's there. He's a part of it. They embrace. To me, that's just one of uh, that's a special moment that transcends baseball, that transcends uh, ju- just between the white lines. Like like that's a little bit of everything. And it kind of pulls at the heartstrings a little bit. And So for me, that's probably my favorite moment. I wanted to get you on because Brad Thompson was the best of friends in many ways with Chris Duncan. So I thought you'd get a great perspective as a listener about what we're trying to do, celebrate his life today all day on 101 ESPN. So I'll wrap it up with this. He's gone now, but yet you were a teammate, a world champion with him, a radio partner, uh, and best of friends, as I mentioned. What do you think his legacy is as you reflect on the life of Chris Duncan? Well, I think that Chris will always be remembered as somebody that his heart was bigger than he was. And and that is a that is a large man that Dunk was and he was an imposing figure, but then you had a chance to talk to him and and he would just uh he would melt your heart, man. So for me, it's the fact that he was a giver. He loved everybody. He loved his family, he loved his wife, he loved his teammates. He loved his listeners on the radio. And I think that's going to be the the lasting impression of Dunk is a guy that just loved everybody. He loved life. He loved baseball. And Dunk, while his life was cut way too short, he didn't waste a minute of it. Many thanks to Brad, Matt Vaskersian, Paul DeYoung. This has been the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. And a reminder to please order those shirts, the Dunctionary T-shirts, and uh, raise a lot of money for the Chris Duncan Scholarship Fund. Redbird Report is every Monday at 6 on 101 ESPN. That was the Danny Mac Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com.